2: a very special bonus episode of the sjp wrestling podcast this when you hear it will i suppose numerically be episode number 14 Um, but it's a special bonus edition for you people out there listening Um, it should be coming to you on november the 22nd which is the exact 30 year anniversary of the show that we're going to be looking at today survivor series 1990 Um, A very relevant show for many reasons, one obviously being it's 30 years to the day that this was first aired. Secondly, a very, very big, important debut, which I'm sure everyone remembers because of the WWE build-up to the show that they're doing uh, for this year's Survivor Series 2. Before we go any further, though, and start looking into this mixed bag of a pay-per-view, there's a couple of firsts on today's bonus episode. One being the very first bonus episode. Two, the first time I'm speaking to two guests at the same time. That's never happened on the show before. And lastly, the first time we've actually had a lady on the show. Can we please say hello to Ben and Dana?
3: Hello. How's
2: it going? Ben and Danae, I do apologise. First, first <laughs> time I get it wrong. It's four letters. What's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Everybody gets
0: this wrong. It's okay. <laughs> yeah,
2: it looks way different than it's pronounced. It's, so
0: it's phonetically not. Yeah, like it's not spelled phonetically. It's yeah. not a fair yeah.
2: name. It's not a fair name. And just, just for context, for anyone listening, um, I pressed. Uh, we had a discussion before I press record. I ran through how to pronounce the name. And again, it sounds so ridiculous because it's sim- it's just four simple letters. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you got I, it right. Like the I, first four times you said it. <laughs> exactly.
2: The, the, the first few times we ran through it all, it was perfect. The first time I got to say it with a little red light on, I screw it up. I, I, <laughs> how difficult cool is that? <laughs> anyway, Ben and Danae please let everyone know um about your wrestling fandom where you where well obviously ben we've spoken to you before you have been on the show a couple of times previously uh Danae, if you could uh, let us know about your your wrestling fandom how much you're actually into wrestling yourself how much you watch what what, what you're into if anything at all or do you just tolerate it because of a uh, because of ben
0: um. Yeah. There's there's a lot of tolerating. Um. Because <laughs> it takes up so many hours of
1: a week. You've been to, like three live shows.
0: I took him to his first adult live show though for his birthday.
1: Oh, like, okay. Yeah. My, my first raw recording. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like I did. I worked at uh, U.S. Bank at the time, and I got like reserve tickets through U.S. to U.S. Bank Arena where it was hosted. <laughs> um. And like I got the email, and I was like, oh, I'm going to get a marriage proposal if I buy these tickets.
3: <laughs> so I did. And we're married now. <laughs> and so. we're married
0: now. <laughs> and uh, But, like, beyond that, like, and the little bit that I kind of pay attention and listen to him talk, um, when I was a kid, I watched WCW. Um, I was a big Hollywood Hulk Hogan fan and Hulkamania fan. Um, and I loved Diamond Dallas page. Actually, like, on Ben's, like, live video podcast, you can see behind him a DDP, like, framed picture where he's holding up a sign that says happy birthday danae um oh, okay oh, I, yeah i got it when i was like nine years old and i still have it i've met goldberg once um for my brother's birthday and that and i love sting and that's about it
2: <laughs> see, wcw is, is right up my street so I, I, that's my go-to even now if i'm gonna put some random wrestling on it's wcw i tend to look at whether it's going way back into the Crockett NWA days before it actually became WCW in the late 80s, or that sort of um, very cheesy uh, wwf light, I suppose, of the early 90s (laughs) um, through to the NWO and the Attitude Era and all that sort of stuff. But uh, WCW is my my go-to, even the awful stuff later on with Russo and um it's some terrible terrible things even that makes some good booking Uh some sorry some good watching on a, on occasion yeah so WCW is very much right up my street and the pair of you um uh record a podcast together as well don't you on i believe it's fridays
0: yes on fridays we do
1: yes sir called marital nonsense available at all everything com and the social media affiliates uh, basically, we just sit down for an hour, and we make fun of each other. Yeah. Know, what it comes down to. We tell,
0: <laughs> we tell real stories about the other person. And, they're, like, they're yeah, I, I think it's really therapeutic. You get to kind of air your stuff out um, and laugh about it.
2: In a healthy way. <laughs> In a very port. healthy way.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. Okay, I'm not sure I'd want to do that. My my wife would have too many horror stories about me, but there we go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, right, okay then. Shall we get on and have a little look at this this crazy pay per view?
1: And yeah. what's cool about this show is that they actually sat down with me this morning and we watched the entire show.
0: We did, <laughs>
1: and like I was yeah. really surprised that she agreed to do that. So
2: it was awesome.
3: Yeah, yeah, it well, was pretty.
2: When, when you messaged me and uh, and said, "Oh, you know, I've actually watched it with a wife," um, and I was like, "Oh, we'll get some of her thoughts as well." And you said, "Oh, can she come on?" And I was like, "Yeah, same. Bring her on. The more the merrier." It's, it's again, it's something I've not done before. I had two guests, so uh, actually on 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 that note just for clarity and 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 so on for everyone listening um just before we pressed record um ben and denae explained that there have been some uh, issues with storms their end which caused a few issues with power and uh, amazingly what the other side of the the other side of the pond i suppose is it sometimes referred we, we've we had crazy storms here in gloucester in the uk as well so if at any stage there's any technical issues or the sound quality isn't quite perfect or i just struggle because i'm talking to two people rather than one which is very very likely because it's something as simple as that can throw me hence the hence the issues with the name at the beginning um, <laughs> <laughs> i apologize and you know bear with us we'll do the best we can okay so Survivor Series 1990 aired November 22nd from the Hartford, Connecticut Civic Centre. The attendance is listed as 16,000 people, which I believe the majority were actually paid, which for that era in wrestling is uh, kind of hit and miss, really. Most WWF events at the time were on fire, and most of them were very heavily paid and only a few select three tickets. But then... You look across the, the other channel, I suppose, or down south is it sometimes referred. WCW at the time was running arenas for eight, nine thousand people and sometimes only getting a quarter of that paid. What? So it really, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> hang yeah. on, wait.
0: <laughs> this is not common knowledge for me. Like, cause you said that and Ben's like eyes lit up for a second. Like, well, I didn't I so hang on. Like when you say they got paid, what yep. does that mean? Like the wrestlers? The talent didn't get paid.
2: No, oh, sorry, the tickets paid. Sorry, yeah. I mean, the way the way it would work would be they'd obviously advertise the the um, the show, and with a lot of house shows, um, TV tapings, or pay per views, they'd sell as many tickets as they possibly could. You're always going to get some that are papered, I suppose they're referred to as, or or comps. Um, whereas people involved with the company will give out free tickets to friends and family, or you might have people who have won tickets through back in that day, radio competitions were quite, quite big. Um the issue you had was with the WWF in the late 80s, especially with your Hulkamania running wild, if you pardon the pardon the pun, um it was it was very much a case of they sold well. They did incredibly well. Whereas WCW were really struggling. And they would have issues filling arenas um the the downside with that would be is that when they were recording tv shows and pay-per-views and and you know whatever clash of the champions tv events or whatever if you did it in front of an arena that was only sort of one tenth full it looked awful so they would give away an absolute stack of three tickets to fill the arena to make it look better on television the knock-on from that was obviously they weren't making as much money and secondly, eventually, when they'd done this for a couple of years on, on in succession in the same areas, the fans started to cotton on. Well, if we just wait until the day of the show, we haven't actually got to pay. So they kind of conditioned their audience in in the wrong manner. But yeah, that's, that's the sort of thing I mean when it comes to, to, to paid paid attendance, I guess. It's the people who've actually paid to go through the door as opposed to those who have uh, been fortunate enough to win tickets or be given them, if that makes sense. I didn't realize it was
1: that much. Like, I knew that happened here and there, but I didn't realize that much of an arena would have been free tickets.
0: Yeah, that's, (laughs) I had no, that really changes the way that you look at when you go back and you do revisit some of that. Some because like we watched that Andre the Giant um, HBO documentary, so like just like footage even from like way back then, like that's crazy to think about. That's crazy. Yeah,
3: definitely.
0: Went on this diatribe earlier when we were watching the show about how like I feel like sometimes the the wrestlers don't really have like they're it's they're just not treated fairly in my opinion. So this is all like new to me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, without diet, without diet. I mean, uh, it's. the WWE itself there's a lot of things that how it's run and how they they have their wrestlers under certain terms and conditions even though they're not listed as proper employees so they don't get the benefits of maybe health insurance or a lot of things that really frustrate me but
3: right
2: it's crazy very easy very easy to go down a rabbit hole on there and you know you'd have me talking for from now until this part like tomorrow, <laughs> Sorry. yeah, I
0: don't want to take away, but I just, I don't know. You like, you just, you gather that information, and then you realize, like, the reason that it is successful is because these people don't care. Like, they still love it that much that they do it yeah, anyway, exactly. and exactly. you still love and it either, that much. You watch it anyway; it's fun.
2: Yeah, yeah, and with the people in the business who are obviously sacrificing their bodies and um, sacrificing time with their families and so on. Um, it's, especially, what well, in, in any era, really, since since the early 80s when Vince McMahon expanded and put a lot of the territories out of business, the WWF was always seen as the end uh, destination. I mean, even now, you speak to wrestlers who are independents or even some guys who may be at AEW, they may not admit it publicly, but if they've not been to the WWE before, they must have half an eye on it and think, well, I want at least want to go, because that's what everyone's grown up watching, you know, that that still exists. I mean, the, the things like Jim Crockett, the NWA, WCW and so on. We may have grown up watching these, but they don't exist anymore.
3: Yeah. So we've
2: literally just got Vince, New York, WWF. For a lot of people, I mean I'm 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 40 very soon. People my age grew up watching the WWF and WCW. There's only one that's of those crazy. still around. You know <laughs> I mean? That's the way it's you know. Yeah, that's I the didn't way it kind that. of works.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's absolutely true. And I, I I'm with you. I have a hard time believing that a lot of these guys in AEW would refuse an opportunity at WWE. And I know they've reached out to, like, Kenny Omega and a few other guys like that. But with guys like MJF, you can't tell me he won't be in WWE within the next five to ten years.
2: He just will be.
1: Yeah. Um, Whether he'll stay for a long term or not, but...
2: Well, with regards to MJF, I, I think that he is a... He's got a lot of what Vince McMahon likes to see. He he can talk, he's got a certain swagger, a certain attitude. I think the guy's absolutely fantastic. Oh, absolutely. My only issue my only issue would be with him is he's obviously allowed a great deal of freedom at the moment working for AEW. Whether that's with his social media or whether he's got the microphone in his hand, he's allowed a lot of freedom, a lot of interaction. And he says some controversial things, but that's what comes into his character. Would he have that freedom working for the WWE? We can't say for certain, but I'd probably lean more towards no. Um, And also, as 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 it sounds, even though things have changed when you look at some of the guys there, it's still very much viewed as land of the giants. And MJF is not a big fella. Would he get the same treatment as smaller guys previous, like a Shawn Michaels or even an Adam Cole nowadays? Or would he get treatment like some of the smaller guys who had a short run, and then disappear into the mid-card and, and and vanish to nothing. I mean, obviously, the proof is in the pudding. We'll only know if, if it happens, but I'd be quite concerned about MJF going over there, and I hope it doesn't happen for quite a long time until his star is very much risen of his own accord, if that makes sense.
1: Oh, absolutely. He's one of the guys that would do very well in NXT. When it comes to the main roster, he would absolutely not have that kind of freedom, and he would definitely uh, be used in a different way. But that being said, he's still super young, and my whole point is, I have a hard time believing he would not go to WWE if given the opportunity. Unlike Kenny Omega, who already said he won't. Mm. It's different, you know. And like I said, like you already said, most people grow up wanting to go to the, to the WWE. That's the end game. And he's still very young, and he—I would almost guarantee—will be whether it be NXT or main roster within the next five
2: years. Yeah, yeah, potentially. I mean, I I think MJF is fantastic. Anyway, uh, he's too. he's he's got so many things that I adore. I mean, it, in my household, it's quite a split opinion of him. I think he's wonderful. My little girl, who I constantly <laughs> reference when it comes to uh, to wrestling and so on, because I watch a lot of wrestling with her. Um, she absolutely despises the guys to the point where <laughs> if I if if I hum the is is theme tune around the house, she she. <laughs> literally goes mad at me she she can't stand the fella but that to me is great because he's getting the reaction from the kids that he wants isn't he so
1: absolutely that's the piece playing the game man he's playing his gimmicks that's that's fantastic to hear
2: that's it okay uh, well I've got a little sidetrack there but should we jump back to Survivor series 1990 <laughs> okay. and have a little look at the uh the crazy production and the open um absolutely. you had vince mcmahon running through all the the teams with their wonderful names they're wonderful haircuts. that are <laughs> wonderful haircuts. ring attire, um, as as well as Vince only can running through, you know, the Warriors team of Animal Hawk, Texas Tornado, and so on, and 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 showing each person bit by bit. It was almost like an old computer game graphics coming up for me. There was an awesome. arcade game in my local leisure centre that I think this this pay per view. The arcade game could have very much been based upon this pay-per-view. It looks so familiar. What did you what did you two think of the open and, and Vince growling people's names at you as soon as you press play? <laughs> the first thing Danae said is, why is he yelling
1: at us?
3: <laughs> <laughs> He's just
2: Brilliant.
0: screaming at me. And it
1: took me a minute to realize that was Vince McMahon. Like after like the second or third team, like, holy shit, that's actually Vince McMahon screaming at us. <laughs> and then the
0: week after he told me like that's Vince McMahon, I was like. I hear it now. Yeah. It doesn't make it better. I'm (laughs) I'm I'm still being accosted.
2: (laughs) Of the the time as well, showing the faces in that way. And if you ever watch like a raw rumble from that time, it might even be from the same year, or maybe even a few months later when they go into 91, he literally runs through. I think, I think all 30 participants in the open in exactly the same way. That's Um, a lot of yelling. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll be honest, you know, I don't know if that's clever editing or whatever, but when you watch it, it sounds like he doesn't even pause for breath. He just goes for it. It's, it's <laughs> he, he does, man. He's just
1: so jacked up and excited, which I dig. I actually like that opening because, you know, I'm used to the current day stuff. and you just don't get that kind of excitement. So the fact that everybody was yelling and screaming and making a big deal out of it, I was like, this is actually kind of jacking me up a little bit, getting me excited for the match.
0: I don't know. I yeah. just... They all had the same haircut as my mom, so <laughs>
2: that's what I was
0: noticing.
2: Like, Sorry, just just to my, clarify, your mum in 1990
0: or your mum now? Oh, it was my mom, like from like 1986 to about 2007 or 8, I think. Is oh, she okay. wore that haircut for a very long time? It she held
2: long on long to that for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, that, that that shows commitment. That's good. <laughs> Vince would dig it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, speaking of, you know, sort of shouting and yelling and, and, and rambling on, um, the next, I suppose, scene we have uh, we have the two commentators, so Gorilla Monsoon and uh, Roddy Piper. Oh, yeah. Talking a little bit about what's going on. And, and then Piper goes into some really random, odd rant about Bush and Saddam Hussein and, yeah. sorry, President Bush and Saddam Hussein. And oh, obviously, I'm fully aware of the conflict was going on at the time, which then, you know, went on to lead to some incredibly, you know, some angles that were in incredibly bad taste the following year. But it was, um, it it's seemed odd Yeah,
0: it was weird for me, too. I remember, like, just kind of being like, so this was Desert Storm. Back in (laughs) in 1990,
1: especially WWF was super guilty of this, but they would always try to incorporate a lot of shows too, other than WWF. But that was a very big political time that entertainment shows would try to incorporate the political shit. I'm sorry, the political stuff into their their stuff. Yeah, and WWF mm. was super, super guilty Trying of that. Trying to be
0: relevant in some way, and they
1: still kind of do that, but they've really gotten out of it since uh, Muhammad Hussain got fired. Well, yeah, because
0: I think that there's just you run the danger of cultural appropriation now, <laughs> and you. Yeah. No, you can't get away with that now. And like back then, like I was watching those guys run around in the headdresses and stuff, and it was like, oh my god, that's actually like wildly <laughs> offensive in twenty twenty.
1: Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> wild. But we noticed that, and like we, I, I think there's just, it's just not in place. Like we don't, we're not watching WWF, we're not watching Survivor Series to be informed of the political nonsense. But we can watch the news if we want to. Yeah, this is a place to be away from that and to enjoy our time, not be nervous about our time.
0: It was weird. Yeah, you could just tell that the networks were probably just. Playing around with whats is and isn't isn't appropriate. Right. I think that's fair. Yeah,
2: but it was weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was very odd, and uh, coming from Piper as well was just very yeah. strange. Uh, especially if you know the guy's background, because he's talking about our troops and over there and all this sort of stuff um, from the from the aspect. I mean, I took it obviously you're in the states yourself, but I took it as him describing it as being an American himself whilst stood there or sat there in a kilt trying to portray a scottish character (laughs) whilst in in real life coming from canada (laughs) it's just like you know it it, it, (laughs) it just seems to be an odd thing to look at you know that's a good point we'll we'll get on to uh we'll get on to um sorry go on
0: oh no i was gonna say like my question was definitely gonna be like aren't there a lot of Canadians in wrestling like why are we yeah. pushing the American agenda so hard when yeah. they're all, like canadian
2: yeah exactly <laughs> really exactly intense. I mean we'll get on to um one of the later matches when when we come across it as we go through the cards but we'll we'll discuss the whole sergeant slaughter and, uh, nice. and <laughs> waving the iraqi flag and so on when we get to it very briefly I think I don't think really we want to give it too much coverage but uh we then go to Mean Gene Oakland, who is interviewing um, the Warriors team, which was made up of um, well a lot of Warriors. We had the Road Warriors of Hawk and Animal. We had Kerry Von Erich, of the Texas Tornado, who at one stage was referred to in his career as the modern day Warrior and the Ultimate Warrior himself. Um, I mean, again, we come back to your point at the very beginning um, about it being a lot of shitey blokes, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. But, you know, I kind of
1: appreciate it, though, because, like, again, I'm, I'm used to the current product where, where nobody yells, especially with no fans in the audience. There's nobody to yell to. So it's just a lot of boring, monotone talking. And it's hard to get excited. It's hard to get your energy up when that's the case. But when these guys are shouting, it kind of jacks you up. Like, you know how if you're in your living room and you just start screaming, your dog gets jacked up. It's the same idea. Yeah. Uh, there's energy being yeah. produced, so you kind of follow that energy production,
2: sure.
1: if that makes sense.
2: So do you cut promos on your pets when you're at home, then? Is that what you're saying?
0: <laughs> I do cut
3: promos.
0: <laughs> he does cut promos. The pets have to be locked out of the room so that they don't, like, jump on him to make sure he's okay because he's being loud. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> That's right. brilliant. <laughs> I mean, on like... that note as well, with the shouting and the rambling, I mean, you could you could understand what the Texas Tornado was on about. It may not have been the strongest promo in the world, but you could get his point. Um, the Road Warriors were always quite unique in their interview style, but you can kind of get what they're on about. Um, the team captain, the WWF champ- world champion at this stage, in theory, the number one guy in the business. Can anyone tell me what the hell that bloke was on about? Because i got no clue.
1: I'm going to be honest with you, man. When it come, when it came to all of their promos, um, I just took it as like a cocaine-driven rant and couldn't really <laughs> yeah. keep up with what they were saying. Accurate, yeah.
3: <laughs> <A lot.
0: laughs> See, like, I feel like there's a stark contrast in our entertainment because I just started watching the Great British Baking Show on Friday. Yeah. I've watched a couple episodes now. It's It's a lovely, like kind, polite. It's a pleasant, very nice, quiet show. Um, and it's sweet. And then like, you do watch American wrestling and we are loud. <laughs> <lot of> <laughs> I text my friend right away. And I was like, dude, I just started watching the great British baking show. And she was like, oh, isn't it so sweet? And I was like, it is. And also if you like put one of our shows of the same kind, like on right back to back, we're loud and we are screaming and we're frantic and we don't make sense. And we're just like being big and obnoxious. And I feel like that was probably the same idea here <laughs> just be loud and run around in circles and it'll yeah, it'll yeah. it'll sell tickets
2: <laughs> yeah and i think the warrior as well especially he was he was never really all there was he when with regards to interviews and shouting and i think you're spot on with that it's, it's curious as well you're saying about watching the the, the great british uh, bake-off yeah um, and saying that we were very Polite and so on. If you see some other reality shows from this country, there are some people that are not that way. But don't don't (laughs) think that (laughs) are I mean, I I would I would strongly advise avoiding. I mean, I I don't even know if they still make it over here, but um, I'm assuming you've had Big Brother over there as a show.
3: Gross. Yeah, that's. Uh,
2: it ran over here for many, many years. And it was just, I used to sort of catch bits and bobs or you'd read bits in the paper back, back when newspapers were still a big thing. And you'd look at these people and just be like, where do they find these individuals? <laughs> <laughs> I've never met anyone like that. And I, I, I've here my whole life, you know, but there we go. <laughs> um, then some I noticed about this match as well, which is on, on a slightly sort of sadder tone, I guess, um, The open of the show, you know, we've obviously had Piper, uh, Monsoon. We've then had Mean Gene Oakland conducting an interview. Uh, Howard Finkel is the uh, ring announcer. And then both teams, obviously we ran through the Warriors team, and then they defeated um, what was dubbed the Perfect team of Axe, Crush and Smash from Demolition with Mr. Perfect as the captain. And they had their two managers at ringside, Bobby Heenan and Mr. Fuji. This shows 30 years old, a lot of these men, not all of them, granted, but a lot of these men are still relatively young, 30 years ago. Um, it's only two of them, um, Axe and Smash from Demolition, who are still with us. Uh, literally everybody else, the the commentators, the ring announcer, the, the the whole of the one team, both the managers and half of the other team, have all, all passed away. And some of them in, incredibly, incredibly young. I mean, you look at the Texas Tornado, he was still, I believe, in his 30s. Hawk was in his 50s. Animal very recently at the age of 60. That's insane? Um, Mr. Oh, yeah. Perfect was... I believe Mr. It's... Perfect was... I'd have to check it, so please don't hold me to this. I could be wrong, but I believe Mr. Perfect was either 43 or 44 when he died. Um, Crush, again, a, a drug-related uh, death, I believe. A very young age there. I believe he was in his late 30s or early, early 40s. And it, to me, it, it's just... You see other people in the show who have passed away as well, don't get me wrong, but this one particular match with the people involved, the managers and the commentators as well, it really hit home how the drugs and the road took its toll on some of these some of these guys who were out there trying to entertain people.
1: Yep, absolutely. And it's funny you bring that up because when we watched it this morning, I told Danae he's passed away, he's passed away, he's gone, yeah. he's gone, and like and she was like, You guys should talk about how all these guys die young. <laughs> I mean,
0: seriously. Like, I think there's such a. There, this is an episode that I think you guys should do, and I mean it. Like, just sit down and talk about all of these careers. Why? Why these people? Because it's a. It's a perfect like bottleneck of of like mixed like it's a mixed bag of issues like the road not being able to take care of yourself, but having to be physically fit. Time away from everybody. Like you're hard on your body. And I think that's like, that's huge. It's huge. And but it, they they love it so much too. And that's the other part that you got to capture there. But I told him, it's going to be easier for you to tell me who's still alive you <laughs> 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 at, at the end of the show than it is for you to tell me everybody that's died. Let's just be real.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, especially thirty years ago when it was a big guys game, so they're all taking steroids. They're all just destroying their bodies with all these drugs, alcohol, steroids. Like it was, it's a yeah, wild definitely. time back then.
2: I mean, it was, it was the sort of the sort of routine that you hear about. I, I can't remember who it was, whether it was Ric Flair or maybe, uh, for some reason, Scott Hall and Mr. Perfect come to mind. So maybe it was an interview of those two. I'm not 100% sure. But someone from that era kind of explains that their routine would be get up in the morning, that they would hurt because of their previous exploits the day before. So they would take painkillers. They would take uppers to get themselves going. They would then take steroids when they went to work out or after they worked out, or however it works. Um, right. They would then wrestle, potentially need some more painkillers because they've wrestled. They yeah. then will go out and party, so then they're taking all sorts of drugs when they're out partying. They then get back to their hotel room. They want to get a couple of hours kit. They're then taking diners or consuming massive amounts of alcohol. Um, and then the process all starts again the following day. Uh, and so you have – I also think that um, a lot of these guys – there's a lot of suicides that you read about um, from people from that era, and and sort of later and earlier. I guess I, I think that the the knowledge about how people's mental health is affected wasn't as strong then as it is now. Um,
3: but it's probably played into it. Yeah,
0: like they still don't take it as seriously as they should. I think because when you look at how much of it is coming out, and they're still not making any changes. You know what yeah. I mean? They're still doing exactly the same stuff, having exactly the same results for 50 years. And they're like, I don't know. Like, you guys can't, they live every single day like they're Mick Jagger, and you cannot consume that much like cocaine and viagra and whatever else you're throwing in your body i to think keep...
1: rick flair is proof that cocaine and viagra is all you need <laughs> yeah <I guess. laughs> that's why his
0: only word is "woo." But like, you know it's just it's I, I just think that's like crazy and and i don't know like you think about what that does to your heart like you speed up and slow down and speed up and slow down and speed and none of it is natural and that's yeah that's cool
2: and you're looking at the sort of the frame of some of these guys that they're carrying. I mean, the British Bulldogs, are a perfect that's... example, Dave, Davey Boy Smith, he, he died again, very young, 40, something like that. Um, it was around 40 anyway. Um, he was actually shorter than me. He, he was around 5'11", 5'10 and a half. But you look at his frame. He was carrying, I think they introduced him at one stage, just 200, 270, 280 pounds, that's which is insane. the same. That's the same weight, to put it into context, as... That's heavier than The Rock was when he was in, in his prime in the late 90s, early 2000s. That's heavier than Triple H was. That's roughly the same as what The Ultimate Warrior was built out at this event. Now, bear in mind, these, these other guys, they're all 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, yeah. um, the Bulldog wasn't even six foot. So the strain of all that muscle mass on his body and his heart eventually contributed to lots of other factors as well. But yeah, it all contributes to heart attacks and, and, and other issues that eventually take these guys' lives. And to me, just in this one match, this opening contest, it really stood out how many of these guys are no longer with us, whether it's recreational drugs. I mean, don't get me wrong, some of them, it's old age. You know, sure. Of course, it is, the guys like Hina and Fuji have, have been old age or health issues that aren't related to being on the road or anything like that. But then you get guys like Hawk and Animal, who is fairly obvious what happened there. The Texas Tornado topped himself and he was he was constantly out of his mind on all sorts of drugs. Um, Mr. Perfect, uh, he was renowned for using numerous substances. It just really, to me, stood out as a snippet to what was happening at this time and in previous years. I mean, I think it's better now than it was much better now than it was, but I still think some places have uh, have a bit of a way to go, really.
1: Oh, I mean, absolutely. Even you know, back then, and maybe even now. I mean, Vince McMahon, their boss, was doing the exact same stuff. So, so
0: awful. I mean, <laughs> that's insane. It
1: was kind of like you're expected to do that to keep your spot; <laughs> otherwise, you're going to lose your spot. So yeah. you know, it's just one mm-hmm. of those things. A lot of these guys felt like they
2: had to, and because that's, that's
1: what Vince McMahon did. And That's what happens.
2: Yeah, that's. And great. you also, you also got those, I suppose, who have. Um, the damage was done before they realized what they were doing, potentially. Absolutely. You look at you look at this. This was November of 1990. Um, it was very soon after this. You had the whole steroid trial, the whole scandal where it was the, 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 the WWE, sorry, WWF, Vince McMahon and everyone there was was in trouble for potentially sp- supplying illegal steroids and, and, and various other substances. And it was it was going to court. I don't know if it was a federal case. I think it may well have been. Um, but they were talking about my mind doing some really serious jail time. And there's going to be a lot of repercussions. Um, and that was not long after this. I believe it was like 91 or that kind of started. Um, so by 92, literally we'll, we'll say two years later then survivor series 92 as a reference point, all these guys were gone, all the huge muscle bound guys. You know, I mean, I'd say 95% of them were gone. Your main, your main event at survivor series 92 was a 230 pound, very lean, Brett Hitman Hart in his first world title ring, defending against Shawn Michaels, who, again, roughly six foot, 220 pounds, much, much smaller. Um, there was a definite decision made not long after this pay-per-view and when the scandal hit to try and change what they were doing. But I I think the only reason they did that was because they were caught out.
1: Oh, Absolutely. I mean, that's not even a question, really. (laughs) I mean, yeah, if you're going to call it out, you you have to change it. Otherwise, you're going to have everybody coming after you. So you have to adjust, which Vince McMahon, I think, is very good at at doing that kind of stuff. He's great at flipping
0: Mm. switches. He's very like and you can tell, too, just from like those big changes that we had talked about earlier. Like, why were we talking about Desert Stormer in a pay-per-view? Because in 1990, that was what people wanted him to do. In 2020, we're not acting like that anymore. And he knows not to, you know, like he's that he goes with it and he reacts accordingly i think but like he's a salesman and that's his product sure. and he knows how to pitch it and that's it
2: yeah definitely definitely i mean he's, you know ultimately he's a very very rich man so you know he, he must be doing something right somewhere so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can't argue that at all
1: <laughs> you, i mean you, people you. want to hate on this man but the dude knows what he's doing he knows how to make his money and
2: uh, that's that's all it comes down to
0: yeah if he was exactly. a door-to-door salesman you bought that vacuum cleaner You
2: did it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I mean, very quick couple of points on the match itself. Um, We saw the Legion of Doom were eliminated via disqualification. And I'll be honest, I couldn't see it being any other way. They didn't <laughs> take in four losses, did they? They never led down for no one. <laughs> you know? I don't think anybody could pin them because they were
1: hard hitting. Like I loved watching this match because because it was so different from what I'm used to now. You know, mm-hmm. just to watch mm-hmm. these guys beat the shit. I, I saw they animal just
0: looked g- like they hurt.
1: They did. I saw animal <laughs> give a clothesline. I forget who who received it, but it looked like a legit just hard hitting clothesline. Like
2: yes. <laughs> yeah, with um, with hawk with and animal, hawk, they, they, they were, were they were very famous very famous for being that way. Very stiff workers. Very dangerous at times they took no nonsense i mean i recently did a um legion of doom episode with um mags who's a real good friend of the show good friend of mine legion of doom super fan he is um (laughs) it's worth maybe giving that a listen because at the end he gives a list of matches that he thinks people should go and look out for and if you if you're a fan of that hard-hitting 90s style there's a few matches in there where they work. You can find them all on the network as well. And you think, how is their opponent's head still attached to their body? And so, on? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's well worth looking at. Sure. I mean, on the note of that as well, bumping around and so on. Mr. Perfect in this match was an absolute bumping machine, wasn't he? he you was. know, when, when it came down to the end uh, and he's he made the warrior look incredible.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, he was a guy, I've always liked Mr. Perfect. I um, I got into wrestling, yeah. he was still around, and he was one I always liked to watch. Like, I thought he was pretty, pretty effing perfect and perfect.
3: Pretty <laughs> perfect? Yeah. He was, he
1: was <laughs> So, I, I did enjoy watching him in this match, too, because I've never seen it before, obviously. I've never watched this event until today. Uh, but, yeah, so I really did, and he's really good at just taking the hits as well as giving the hits. So, he's just an all-around great performer, I thought.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of his as well, what well, obviously was. He's no longer with us, but he's a uh... Just brilliant stuff. He always was was just absolutely fantastic to watch in the ring. He, when he came back, I believe it was two thousand and two, two thousand and three-ish, maybe
1: right around there.
2: Um, yeah, the yeah he looked great. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the run was a surprise return, wasn't he? Um, he he had a great little run there as well. Um, I just think the guy was so talented. Um, at the end of the match, we were left with the Ultimate Warrior as the sole survivor. Um, apparently, this then means he's going on to. Uh, an ultimate survival match of some description at the end of the show. This format is the only time they ever used it, where the survivors from each match went into another match to decide who the ultimate survivors were going to be. Um, I
0: liked that. They should do that more. I was going to say,
2: what what did you think about that concept? I I quite enjoyed that too. It almost gave gave these random matches of 4v4, or in some years it was 5v5, uh, these random teams of mixed match people It almost gave them a purpose rather than just, oh, yeah, we're wrestling for the sake of it. Absolutely.
1: It makes the show stand out because for one, you know, Survivor Series used to be one of the big four. It still may be considered that. But now it's just another show. There's really nothing special about Survivor Series. It's been that way for a long time. But You know, making the entire show about the name Survivor Series and having eliminations and them coming back later, it makes the show unique. Kind of like the Rumble, it's a unique show. And I don't, I don't understand why they want to keep doing that because it was awesome. And, you know, everybody seems to enjoy it. So why not keep that going? But I really like that format for sure.
0: It was good. Yeah. And, and like you said, like it wasn't just a bunch of. Loud people in the ring smacking into each other. (laughs) Like, yeah, it was, there was a reason for it. I understood what I was watching without Ben having to explain backstory, which I don't get now. Like, now people are in the ring and it's like, oh, there's this drama happening. Like, I haven't paid attention to wrestling for what a couple years. And now Alexa Bliss is hanging out with you know bray wyatt who's no longer part of the like wyatt whatever they wyatt were the family. fireflies and all like all of that is different now and i don't i had no idea i was like what's going on
3: <laughs> <You're an AW.
2: laughs> yeah but yeah and
0: then but then i watched this and i didn't have to ask any questions and it felt good <laughs> so i was like yeah. it makes sense
2: <laughs> yeah i mean the storytelling about that i also you know you say about there being the big four um, and that is what you had. It wasn't until 93 they added the Survivor Series and you potentially had five pay-per-views. So you had the four for quite a few years. I think it makes it easier to tell stories because you've got more time. Nowadays, everything seems so rushed. you got a show coming up in three weeks. We've got a build for this. We've got a build for that. Um, we've also got half an eye on WrestleMania in three months or whatever. And, and there's always it always seems to be rush, rush, rush. Back then, I believe the stories were simpler and told better because they just had more time.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I would agree with that. I mean, having a pay-per-view once a month, sometimes more than that, is ridiculous, and it just shows how much it's all about pushing that merch, pushing those TV sales. It's you yep. know, it's so it's everything is so forced because of that fact. There is no time to tell any story that makes sense, and then at the same time, though, sometimes we have the same story dragging out way too long hashtag seth rollins or mysterio so even when they have that, <laughs> wait—is kind of that time, the
0: one with like the family yeah. is all yelling yeah that doesn't make sense so to me
1: like there's there's no there's no fair ground here it's either things are way too drawn out and they have way too many matches at their once a month or more shows or if they have no time to make anything make sense they just have this match without any story and there's and it's just kind of boring because of that fact so there's no happy medium here
2: no, that's right, that's right. I, I think sometimes as well people are especially younger fans they're kind of they're kind of conditioned or they're kind of programmed to view things in a certain way. So when you do get a story now with younger fans that goes on a bit longer, <laughs> um, they don't quite they don't quite want that if that if if you know what I mean.
1: Absolutely. You know, and back then, too, you didn't see these guys in your face once or twice a week. You know, you had once a week on a, uh, one show or one, you know what I mean? Like, now they have yeah, three shows yeah. a week, and so we're seeing these same guys beat up each other three times a week. Like, that's just and then,
0: too much. And then a pay-per-view. <laughs> right. And then some of these guys have their spinoffs like shows on the network that they talk about and promote and like everybody's got a podcast and then there's, you know, so like, you're just, you're oversaturated. I told him earlier, you talking shit
1: about podcasts
0: a little bit, (laughs) 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 just, I mean, but what, not like podcasts in general, just like that one person also doing this and also do Like I've got a reality TV show and a podcast and a book that I'm also writing. And I'm part of like this package and this package and this package. And now I'm going to announce for no reason and plug my stuff and, Like it's just a lot of you selling yourself.
2: Yeah, it's it's difficult. I suppose it's a difficult line to sort of toe. I suppose because on one hand, it's a short, relatively short career for for most people. Terry Funk, avoid maybe not, but you know, certain people, it's (laughs) it's quite a short career. So there's only a small window of being able to earn the big money and get your name out there and so on. But at the same time, I, I think there's a big danger of overexposure and, um almost almost killing your own gimmick, I guess, if that makes sense. Yes, that does
0: make sense.
3: Right.
1: Yes. You just can't oversaturate the market. You know, you have to find that fine line to where it's not too little, but also not too much. And with the WWE these days, there's way too much of a lot of stuff because there's so much content.
0: I, I just feel like... Michael Bay and Vince McMahon hang out, and that's what I think happened to wrestling <laughs> from 1990 <laughs> to 2020. <laughs> it's all loud and big,
2: that's fair. No, I get you. I get you. <laughs> okay, I mean, the next match, um, we had the million dollar team coming up against uh Dusty Rhodes' dream team. Um, we're gonna Skirt over that one for now. We'll come back to that one because, you know, as most people are aware, the main purpose of this show and why it stands out in people's memories is probably something we want to discuss a little bit more length towards the end. So we'll come back to that. The next um, action we see, um, we have the team of the visionaries, which is Hercules, Paul Roma, Rick Martel and the Warlord. Um, and they're up against a team of the Vipers, some fantastic names here aren't there um, Jake <laughs> Robert, which is led by Jake Roberts and they have Jimmy Snooker and the Rockers Marty Jetti and Shawn Michaels just before the match we have a lovely interview with Jake Roberts and his gammy eye um, and for some reason you know, he's in the shower with the shower running for the, for the purpose of Damien the Snake I fully understand that don't quite understand why everyone else needs to be in the shower with him that seems odd to me yeah. <laughs> You know uh, if, Jake, if, Jake, if, if Jake wants to make sure Damien's okay, signed. Does Shaw Michaels really need to be there watching Jake water his snake? I don't get it,
1: <laughs> especially in, in 1990 when like a lot of people were like, What are you guys doing? Like, that's yeah, so yeah.
0: when you explain it. Like, I watched that scene and I didn't pay any attention to any of that. And then, but when you have to like, explain it with words to somebody, what yeah. happened there? I've got questions now, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got a lot of questions now.
2: I mean, the humidity, <laughs> the steam of the shower room obviously did Jimmy, Jimmy Stuka's hair no favours either if you look at what happened there oh. you
1: know. yeah, his hair was Zena notorious for not being that well in humidity
2: so
3: sure,
2: okay. <laughs> sure. I mean with, with regards to that match then as we went into that match uh, what were your thoughts on that one I mean there's a lot of a lot of star power in that match isn't there I mean Rick Martel's a fantastic worker Jake Roberts is incredible I mean Shawn Michaels is to me Shawn Michaels and Rick Flair are the two greatest of all time uh, what are your thoughts? You know, on, on on this match here, we had it went just over seventeen minutes, Um, and I think we ended up with pretty much the whole of the one team. Yes, we did, didn't we? The whole the whole of the one team survived.
1: Yeah, um, I, was, inter- I like to watch that because you know I've mentioned on the show before, Shawn Michaels, my favorite of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it
0: the sexy boy guy. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, <but> yeah. So <laughs> it was, but at the same time, I hate Marty Janetti. Just from I just hate Marty Janetti. I hate the I hate the rockers. Uh, so I don't really. You know, a lot of people also love Jake the Snake Roberts. I think you like him with a snake and stuff.
0: Oh no! Um, you, I you always the only thing I know about Jake the Snake is it became it's member. Okay, so. What is that guy six one nine? Booyaka, booyaka. Rey Mysterio. Yeah. Mysterio. So he would talk about Ray Mysterio, but all I knew the connection in my mind was booyaka, booyaka. So Jake the Snake has the same image, it- uh, gotcha. and yeah. I don't know anything else about it. No, oh, fair <laughs> enough. But you know, I
1: don't really like a lot of these guys, honestly. Like other than Shawn Michaels, I didn't. I don't really know a lot about Rick Martel. You know, he's kind of before my time. I would say. So other, other than Sean, I didn't really get into it too much. And then this was kind of fun to watch Sean before he became. Sean Michaels, you know. Uh but other than that, I don't really get into it a whole lot to be honest with you.
2: Yeah, you could see you could see certain bumps that Sean took that were you could he stood out from the pack a little bit to me here. Right. Because I suppose I you know, again, being a very Sean Michaels fan myself, I kind of know what I'm looking for, I suppose. Um Rick Martel, he at one stage was in a tag team called Strike Force with Tito Santana. Okay. um Going going back a few years to sort of the mid to late eighties, if you can find some of their work, which you can do on the network, um that's that's great stuff. Really, really good tag team wrestling when tag team wrestling actually mattered, and they were ex tag team champions. Um, Hercules here by this stage, he's done the whole Hercules singles gimmick. He's been banded with Paul Romer in a tag team just to try and give him something else to do. It didn't really take off.
1: All right, real quick, I mean to cut you off. Rick Martel is is Hercules.
2: No, sorry, no, sorry. Rick Martel is the model character there. Hercules is oh, okay. uh, one half of Power and Glory with Paul Roma.
1: Okay, I, I remember Hercules.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. Hercules, um, his, his career was kind of coming to, even though he wasn't that old, his career, I suppose, was. He'd done all he could by this stage. So, you know how they do? They lump him into a tag team. They call him Power and Glory, and it's Hercules and Paul Roma. Um, Paul Roma went on to be. Uh, in wcw a few years later and was potentially one of the worst four horsemen of all time i think (laughs) Um, he just did not fit at all with the rest of the group um but yeah from this match we had the whole of the visionaries team survive and then i didn't realize this until they mentioned it on commentary and i've looked into it and they're, they're obviously accurate this is the first time in survivor series history where a whole team actually survived um, without any elimination, so which is quite a little fun little fact there. They went through obviously to the ultimate survivor match at the end. Um,
3: <laughs> the yeah,
2: guys so that...
0: tugboat, right? Like that's his. <laughs> I just like I just kept thinking that like the whole time, and it reminded me of How I Met Your Mother. That guy named his dog Tugboat, and I was like, "That's a weird name for a dog." <laughs> now I get it. He was probably naming his dog <laughs> after that
2: wrestler, but I had
0: no idea. <laughs> and yeah. then I saw him, and I was like, "You're a grown man! What are you wearing?"
2: <laughs> yeah, well, the, the next match, you mean? Obviously, the uh, the Hulkamaniacs versus the Natural Disasters with Tugboat in there, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Okay. And he's yeah, still sorry. alive.
1: Cause that was one of the things I you know. He he's passed away. Then we looked up these guys doing their promo, and we looked up. Yeah. Still, he's still with us. He's like 64, I believe. So that was kind of cool. That.
2: Like, yeah. Only Fred Ottman. His name is, I think, Fred Ottman. No. Um. I just <laughs> yeah. Me, yeah.
0: But yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I didn't realize I had skipped ahead of trying to follow along with the stats. No, we, we, we had
2: the show pulled up. Here. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. problem. No problem. Well, yeah. I mean, let's let's talk. Let's talk about that match. We had the natural disasters versus the Hulkamaniacs. Um, Hogan's team. If you could take a literally a, a, a picture of what wrestling in the late 80s looked like, it would look like this team. You have Hogan in the yellow and red. You have the, the the policeman stood next to him in the big boss man. You have crazy Jim Duggan yelling ho, waving a plank of wood around, and then you had tugboat in his in his wonderful uh, wonderful gear there. Yeah, and they I, were
0: have, up... I loved the hat. <laughs> <Nice>. Yes,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and they were up against um, the natural disasters, which were the barbarian Dino Bravo, earthquake, and um, Haku. Originally, this was going to involve uh, ravishing Rick Rude. He was on the posters and the promotional, um, the promotional pictures they sent out and so on. But he, by this stage, had a big falling out with Vince McMahon about money. Um, apparently, he was very unhappy that he was paid a lot less than The Ultimate Warrior from their match from SummerSlam of this year. And he was gone shortly after and ended up back in WCW, wrestling down there for a while. So I believe he was replaced by, by Haku. But he was originally involved in this match. Oh, I um, yeah, I mean, again, this is very, very much of its time. You look at, we we joke there about Hogan's team and Tugboat. You look at the natural disasters as well. I mean, Dino Bravo, that guy just looks like an 80s wrestler, doesn't he? Oh, for sure. You know, with, the, with the tight hair and that. <laughs> <laughs> It does. <laughs> I mean, how did you find this match in, in general?
1: Um, I liked it only because, you know, Hulk Hogan, and it was fun to watch Hulk Hogan basically be Hulk Hogan and I never I was never a big Hogan fan back in the day but I know Danae loved him oh, and love it was just Hulk kind Hogan. of fun to see that experience on tv from start to finish and also I was always a big boss man fan as well so it was fun to see them back in the old days doing their thing
0: I could do I was doing Hulk Hogan's moves in the background <laughs> like I was I that's what I did when I watched wrestling I like did their moves and so I was like sitting there like man I haven't done this can I remember do I remember doing this on the couch like you know it's been 20 years but I'll give it a go <laughs> and it was a lot of fun, and then um i just what what I enjoyed about it is like i'm thirty two years old married as uh, sitting here crocheting like a hand towel that I'm making my sister-in-law for Christmas, drinking cold brew coffee and watching Hulk Hogan and a grown man named Tugboat <laughs> just like bang thighs against other yeah. men's bare thighs. And I, that was like a socially acceptable thing to do at 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so that's, that's what I got out of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, you got a few guys here that are no longer with us. Um, one of those is, is Earthquake. He died, again, very young. He, he died, actually, in his early 40s, but that wasn't until 2006. Believe it or not, you look at Earthquake here, he's actually only 27 years of age. Oh wow. He, looked, he did not look that young. <laughs> well, he, he looked in his 40s then, didn't he? Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, he, uh, he ended up forming a Natural Disasters tag team with Tugboat. Tugboat turned into Typhoon, um, and they had a tag team run there together for a little while. And then Tugboat left and went to WCW in '93. And have you ever seen the Shockmaster? Um, oh, he yeah, where, they, where, he, where he runs into the into the into the flare for a gold interview segment, um, trips over, lands on his face. You can hear Davy Boy Smith go, "He fell on his arse," and everyone laughing at him. <laughs> I remember that. Oh yeah, yeah, that <laughs> See, that yeah. was Fred Ottman. That was that was Tugboat. That was Typhoon in, in that role there as well. That's I did
1: not know that. So that means was that the same guy when we watched the uh the WCW Halloween Havoc with, with the Shock Master. Is that the same guy there as well?
2: Um, I have not seen the Halloween Havoc show from NXT yet. No, I'm so, talking about yeah, the, the, the one that I watched for your show not too long oh, ago. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, where he came in oh sorry, I do apologize. Where he came in, yes, the shop master yeah, that was um same yeah, he came kid, in yeah. wearing with the hard hat on and so on. Yep. Yeah, that's the same guy. That's, that's... that's Fred Ottman. That's awesome. Yeah. I did not know that. That's that's a good little fun fact for the day.
3: That's cool, yeah.
2: <laughs> if you want to go back and watch the 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 Shotmaster entrance, it's Clash of the Champions 23 or 24. It's absolute comedy gold. Uh, <laughs> I've
1: seen that on YouTube a couple of times, I believe, yeah. throughout the
2: years. <laughs> YouTube is probably the best option because you can still hear rick flair laughing and british bulldog laughing and sting pissing himself and all this sort of stuff oh, uh, I love Sting. and then he's, awesome. he's, he's wearing a what looks like a plastic kids uh children's uh stormtrooper helmet from star wars just just Brilliant. sprayed with, with glitter paint it's one of the <laughs> worst things ever i don't know what they expected but yeah, that that was uh that was our friend Typhoon there. So yeah, things didn't actually get much better for him after he left the academy. Uh, <laughs> uh, you see him in shoot interviews, and you see him, on, you hear about hear him on podcasts, and he laughs about it, he jokes about it himself. He's he's such a lovely fella, um, and he, he he talks a great deal about his family and so on. So yeah, good good luck to Fred Ottman. He he's, a, he's a, he comes across like a real nice chap. He was-
3: uh, he-
0: to be a nice chap, if you're gonna walk around and be called Tugboat, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> obviously Very
3: you're
2: true. a nice guy. <laughs> Very true. I mean, Tugboat um, uh, again in 1990, he was supposedly Hulk Hogan's best friend. It was being built up to be That's a split. So cool. Tugboat was going to turn on Hogan um, when Hogan got s- in the storyline severely injured by earthquake um, and had to take a few months off. It was ju- it was actually just so they could write him out of things to go and film. um suburban commando was the film i believe maybe that might work (laughs) timeline wise but it was was so we can go make a film yeah um tugboat was on telly every week giving out an address saying send all your letters in to hogan telling him you want him to come back and you send his sending him prayers and you want him back and you know write this letter and and post it off to this address and and there's this big promotional campaign to try and show the children giving support to Hulk Hogan and the majority of those people at those addresses are probably still receiving WWF merchandise (laughs) that I believe that I definitely believe a very very clever ploy in getting people's return postal addresses before the internet was was a thing and send in the merchandise catalogs every three months That's a good, that's a good
1: advertising scheme right there, man' that's yeah a, that's how you know Vince is a genius. Because,
0: like if you would have told me to do that as a kid, I would have written Hulk Hogan a letter, that wouldn't I, I would have written him three or four. <laughs> I wouldn't have stopped at one. I would have been like, you know what? I forgot to add a couple things, and I would have come back to it.
2: you <laughs> would have ended out of an essay from yourself, yeah, <laughs> yeah
3: absolutely. <laughs>
2: Okay, I mean at the end of the match, we have Hogan as the sole survivor and going on to the uh, the, the additional Survivor Series main event, I suppose. At the end of the show, um, partway through, Hogan also used a small package to to pin someone, which I was a bit surprised by. That was that was quite a surprise seeing Hogan bust that move, right? But there we go. Um, the
1: same thing. I was like, I don't understand why we're not seeing his big moves right now, but you know that makes sense as he went on to be in the main event. So that made sense then. But yeah, uh, I was confused at the time.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, after that, we then had the, well, I think it's probably the worst show on the, uh, worst match, sorry, on the show. Um, the alliance yeah. of uh, Butch and Luke, the um, Bushwhackers, <laughs> yeah, Nikolai was... Volkov, uh, Tito Santana. They defeated the mercenaries of Boris Sukoff, Sergeant Slaughter, uh, Tanako and Sato. And they had Mr. Fuji and General Adnan at ringside. This went just over 10 minutes. Um, the bushfuckers
0: um, were the guys I couldn't yeah, stand, they were right? Like
2: the white trash looking yeah.
0: They and looked like they got all of their clothes from Goodwill on the way there. And they looked just <laughs> like what was that arm waving thing they were doing? <laughs> That's like their gimmick. All of that was just like, I don't understand. <laughs>
3: oh,
2: like, this is a big, big thing, man. Back in those days, all the kids would be. Um Doing the arm waving thing as they came out, they were they were hugely popular, hugely popular. Um, like it. <laughs> the weird thing, oh yeah totally totally. The weird thing was as well they had a habit of coming down and they'd lick people's faces in the entrance <laughs> way. Um I mean this, again this is this is something that you'd look at from 1990 that you'd never get away with now. But they'd lick children's faces and the kids, <laughs> for, the, the kids honestly go back and look at it. I'm sure Ben will be able to find you some footage of this happening. <laughs> The That's a lie. that was... has
0: to be a lie. <laughs> no, uh,
2: seriously, hand on heart, Ben. After we finish recording, go back, sh- show your good lady. <laughs> like, bushwhackers entrance, licking kids' faces, and oh and.
3: Oh god! <laughs> uh,
2: but the thing is, the kids—the kids back then—you can see because they were so popular. They loved—they loved the bushwhackers so much. They saw it as like a badge of honor. They thought it was fantastic. Oh, I'm sure.
0: He- but that you know? sounds like something he would get arrested for well, now. Like, you can't go absolutely. licking kids. You're
2: not
0: <laughs> allowed to go it. lick <laughs> other people's children. <laughs> That's so weird. But <laughs> my, my
1: least favorite part about this match was the the promo that went on way too long with Sergeant Slaughter. That was so, was that was long
3: promo.
1: It was so cringeworthy. It was worse than the match, which is saying something. That match was just super. Oh, the match was
2: awful. <laughs> Um, the, the slaughter promo, he was ranting on about the USA. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing that stands out to me, he was talking about, um, he was mocking American soldiers who were serving overseas um, and, and the Iraqi war and so on was, a, was at this sort of time period, wasn't it? Um, talking about how they're eating their Thanksgiving dinners out of tin cans and, and so on. Yeah. whilst they, they, they were all eating um, a, a big slap-up full-on meal with all the trimmings. Now, don't get me wrong, I understand he's trying to get heat to coin a sure. wrestling term. I fully appreciate, underpreci- it, and I understand they're building towards... By this stage, the Ultimate Warrior, as WWF champion, was done. The experiment was over. They wanted to get the belt back on Hogan. They needed a big, evil, bad guy for Hogan to defeat, and Sergeant Slaughter was that guy. So they're building Slaughter up, getting him as much heel heat as they possibly can. But in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, people are overseas losing their lives and you're talking that way. I find that even now, 30 years on, I find that quite uncomfortable to watch. How did, how did you find that?
3: The, I,
1: Distasteful. I agree with that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's very cheap heat. It's boring heat. So it's not even like, oh, yeah, F this guy. It's, it's just bad writing. Yeah. And I got a little story here real quick. Uh, the f- <laughs> second live show I ever saw was in 2000. 2000- and six, I went to a a live WB taping, and it was the same time that Kurt Angle was heel against John Cena, and he was trying to get cheap heat because he still got cheated all the time, and so he started talking crap about the U.S. troops. If you guys remember, if you remember that side in 2005ish, and that was yeah, his gimmick.
2: Yeah, just a bite.
1: You and can't
0: I, not like. Well, and yeah.
1: I did, and I, in five you know, I was a senior in high school. It's like that's just not. That's Kurt Angle. He's not going to say that. Like it's he, not believable at this yeah. point. Yeah. And it's just like I, I, I liked – it just didn't make sense to me. It's like that's bad writing. It's boring now because of that. Well, I went to this live show, and I was standing in line outside, and there was this woman standing in front of me who was probably about twice my age, just pissed and running her mouth that I can't stand Kurt Angle because he keeps talking about the troops and blah, 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 blah. And I didn't get it. Like I don't understand how that's – fa- you know this is scripted, right? Like I'm, I'm Why 18. are you
0: personally <laughs> Right?
1: Yeah. Like so people – do buy into that I guess but
0: fires them up but
1: I just never did and that's just the weak cheap heat I never understood that writing but apparently it does work on on some folks yeah Uh, so
3: it
0: does because people will act like walk around now and act like there's people that I used to work with that liked wrestling and I they'd say something they'd be like I don't I'm I can't like Roman Reigns right now because blah 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 and I was just like You know he's got, like, cancer, and he's getting, like, a chemo (laughs) Mm. treatment. That's why he's not here right now, right? Like, it's not – you don't have to be mad at him. (laughs)
3: It's just wild.
0: Yeah, I don't know. They do buy into it, and they don't realize, like, it's – they don't realize from an intellectual standpoint why you should be offended. It's like, you shouldn't like this because the current political state of the world is bad, and, you know, making this joke is bad and disrespectful. But they're just like, no. (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the whole – um. Using a, a nationality or or something like that as um, as a way of drawing heat, it's been done for decades and decades and decades. Yeah. I and mean, you can go back to uh, the forties and the fifties. There's there's evidence or or, or footage or, or or newspaper articles about um, German heels, German bad guys. Really? Back to sort oh, of the second sure. world war era. Um, uh, from, I mean, this is, this is all over the world. So this isn't just America. This was in, uh, in Canada. They had a lot of, um, I think they had a German guy work there. He may not have actually been German, but that was the way it was. Right. The UK had a, had the same sort of thing. Um, you go a little bit later in time, um, sort of the fifties, sixties and, 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 and further on from there. Um, Russia was seen as the big enemy, um, with the whole cold war going into the 80s and so yeah. on. I mean, my timeline may be screwed up here. I apologize if I'm butchering your, your country's history there, but oh, I do
0: know, oh, like, <laughs> I know what you're talking about because I saw it in glow with out. what's her face. Yeah. She became the Russian lady, and I was like, oh, yes. that's clever, okay, yeah, yeah now so and, that's,
2: and that's what it is, it's, it's drawing heat.
0: Yeah, it very... just feels so cheap, right? Yeah, that's yeah, but, it, it,
2: but that's how it was, it, it, and that's how it was done. And the issue you had as well was if these guys, I mean, you look at, say, um, Sergeant Slaughter as an example. When Sergeant Slaughter, Sergeant Slaughter here would go on and he would defeat the Ultimate Warrior at the Royal Rumble to win the WWF title, ready to lose it to, a red white and blue waving Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 7 that's what this whole thing was building towards the the, the way the the way the match we watched for survivor series here was structured was to get slaughter over as a big threat to make him look like he's just took apart the other team on his own and so on oh, okay uh, so then he then goes and beats the warrior um has the title, America Needs a Hero. Um, Up comes Hulk Hogan. Um,
0: (laughs) America Needs a Hero. Yeah,
2: that's that's exactly how it was built. And he uh, he comes down um, and and defeats Slaughter at WrestleMania 7 in a bloody awful match. And if you can imagine everything bad about Hulk Hogan in ring, add that to Sergeant Slaughter, who was not the most talented either. It's terrible. But it was drawing huge, huge heat because the hatred for Slaughter was huge. The issue you have is... Once that's happened and the big evil foreigner, so to speak, has been vanquished, where do they go? Because right. they've, they've been defeated. They're not a threat anymore. So <laughs> eventually, eventually what happens is slaughter has to sort of somehow, and it's not just slaughter, it's happened all over the place. It happened with Nikolai Volkov when he was a, when he was a, a foreign bad guy. It happened with um, Nikita Kolov in the NWA. Eventually they turn them face and have them act as a good guy. But it's hard work getting people to then start cheering for these people. And the ships kind of sailed on their careers then. Slaughter was relatively done by the end of 91. So it's it's a gimmick that I think draws a lot of heat for the wrong reasons, but is also quite short-lived, if that makes sense.
1: Yep, absolutely. Yeah. It's just a short-term solution for your long-term problems. Yeah, we can get a lot of money, a lot of heat right now, but what about tomorrow? And that's something yeah. that I think ben still struggles with to this day is is the long-term booking it's never been WWF style, and uh, and that's a big problem with it because you kind of screw over your talent that same way. If they're too good at mm. their you know, And I think the best way is to, after that story is over, keep them off TV for a while, have them come back with a different gimmick, and that's typically what they do these days. But, I mean, especially back then when people were more inclined to believe what they were seeing, it's just harder to do that.
0: Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's stupid. Yeah. Too- <laughs> I felt manipulated. I didn't like it.
1: Right. I wanted to
0: root for Hulk Hogan not because he was my American hero. Um, He did not embody American virtues. Uh, I just wanted to vote for him and root for him because of his mustache was the inverse of his hairline. And I just thought, like, symmetrically, that was really pleasing to look at. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> that was uh,
2: just it's all about that glorious handlebar mustache, isn't it? It, it <laughs> is,
0: man. It is. <laughs> the it's stash. So blonde.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay then. Um, from that match, I mean that lasted you, you had one survivor, I believe, wasn't it? Tito Santana was yeah, the only did. survivor from the match, yeah. Now, this is something I have an issue with when it comes to survivor series matches. Um that was ten minutes long. Well, close to eleven minutes long. So you had eight guys in that match. One survived. That means seven people inside 11 minutes were defeated. Um, In scenarios where in an ordinary match, you wouldn't see, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Nikolai Volkov or might have been Boris Sukov on the other side. I can't remember. But one of them was pinned with a clothesline. Somebody else was pinned with, um, I think, some form of a backbreaker. In an ordinary match, that wouldn't happen. A Survivor Series, it's the only time you see these things happen, and these decisions happening so quickly for quite a few of the matches. That I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that, because it doesn't fit in with how they're working the rest of the year around. What, what do you think?
1: Uh, pretty much with all of that, just doesn't does make sense in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, when I you put yeah. it down like,
0: empirically like that, seven people inside of 11 minutes that's we watch makes them look weak yeah we went to that like one house show and roman reigns and that one other
1: oh, dude it was roman reigns and Braun Strowman was an hour long yeah
0: well i watched them go back and forth and bounce off of ropes for an hour but then you want me to watch this other match where they're all the same size and there's
3: <laughs> seven of them yeah.
2: yeah
0: that's crazy to think about really
2: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah it is it is but again I suppose it's of its time. It did the purpose. It, it, you know, it fulfilled the purpose that was required. It got slaughter over, but it just seemed odd to me. But that Survivor Series matches in general, I think, in this era, so right. I mean, and to be fair, if it was realistic, the the, the whole card had to be like
1: you know six hours long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly,
2: exactly. <laughs> okay, then sticking with Mr. Hogan and the only survivor from that match, Tito Santana. They were joined by. The Ultimate Warrior, who was a survivor from his contest earlier in the evening, going into the Ultimate Survivor match, the the Grand Finale, or however they booked it, however they referred to it, sorry. Um, But they were only the three facing off against the team of five of Hercules, Paul Roma, Rick Martel, Ted DiBiase, and The Warlord. Um, They also had the second, they were seconded by Virgil and Slick on the outside, So effectively, in a way, you had seven on three, but the good guys, well, two of them at least prevail. Um, The superhero that is the ultimate warrior and his, his superhero chum Hulk Hogan defeat all the evil in front of them in just under 10 minutes. How did you you find this? My
1: my favorite part of the entire thing was after post-match when Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior were standing on the apron and the camera angle looked from down below like at their butts and thighs.
3: Yeah,
0: like I just kept telling Ben, I was like, we're getting thigh shots. They (laughs) want you to be aware. Like they waxed (laughs) and they spray tanned for this and we're being sold a product that is not appropriate for us. But... It was a lot like what I liked about the beginning of that match because you said they're chums like I, I immediately latched onto that because you saw Hogan like you saw his face light up and it was growing up watching him like I did and and seeing him like as the guy from the WO and you know Hollywood Hulk Hogan and then the sex tape thing happened and it was like oh man that broke my heart like you're supposed to be like. You, uh, you're supposed to be my hero and like that's wrong <laughs> you don't do sex tapes if you're an american icon what's wrong
2: with you you
0: put <laughs> over andre the it giant depends what kind
2: of icon you are
0: i guess but, like he retired yeah. andre i expect better from that man and <laughs> and so to see him like before all of that happened and then they played that guy's uh, – what's his name? Ultimate, Ultimate Warrior. Warriors, when they like, played his music, for one split second, you saw Hulk Hogan's eyes light up like, oh, that's my friend. And he's coming yeah, out with yeah. me. And that was so neat to see. And then and then you did see all of that broing at the end where oh, like, yeah. let me hold the ring open for you. No, let me hold the I, ring open I for you. I hate to
1: admit it. I've, I've, been, I've never been a Hulk Hogan fan like I've always said. And he, his stuff always annoyed me. It's the same reason everyone have John Cena too much. The same too much power – too much good guy. Too much mustache. Yeah. Too much mustache
0: um. for you to handle. <laughs> but
2: it was that so you of have t- too much mustache, really.
1: <laughs> yeah that's fair but but it was kind of fun to see him do his hulk hogan things and just like you know throw people over the over the turnbuckle and and do he threw his, a
0: lot of people yeah. over that and was just, so much fun and just
1: to watch him do the leg drop i'm like yeah man get that leg drop like, it, was, do it, was, it. it was kind of fun to put myself in that headspace and just have fun watching hulk hogan
0: and then like do all of the poses because i pointed out to him i was like he is alone posing in the ring for like 15 minutes right now like this has happened <laughs> yep. way too long but we you're enjoying it so he's not going to stop Right. He keeps telling you to yell. He's pointing out his ear. You're yelling. He's going to keep going <laughs> until you <laughs> the stop yelling. making
2: machine, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yes.
0: Like, and I don't, that was, to me, the this whole, like, wrestle like, this whole pay-per-view was the reason that I had as much fun with it as I did is because of Hogan and Tugboat.
1: <laughs> and Ultimate Warrior.
0: And Ultimate Warrior. But, like, the all of that Hogan-ness at the end, even his glistening thighs, like, all of that worth it. Loved it. <laughs> it, my, tea, my coffee tastes really good.
2: <laughs> I can just, I can just envision though. You talk about that that shot where they were the cameraman's on the outside of the ring, and and they, they're obviously they're, they're stood they're stood in that position not by accident. They've gone out no! the ring <laughs> and, and, on that side intentionally so they, they can have... turn both raise their arms in the air because the the camera on the other side of the ring, what they refer to as the hard cam, that's there to get this wonderful shot of Hogan and the Warrior. Stood together, both arms raised, on the opposite side of the ring. That's like the photo opportunity. And somewhere, the director is probably getting screamed at by Vince McMahon because he's missed that shot, and he's got a, he's got a wonderful close up of their arse instead. <laughs> <You know>?
3: <laughs> <laughs> he missed that shot and he got
0: the ass instead.
3: That's so true. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> that was awesome. I, mean,
2: I think I think you're both absolutely spot on. This this whole show ignoring the uh the big the big moment that we're about to discuss now the whole show was very much hogan and warrior based and it it did the purpose of getting slaughter over as a heel i mean this was november the next pay-per-view as they advertised was the rumble that's when slaughter picked up the wwf title and we're off to the races then with hogan versus the iraqi sympathizer sergeant slaughter and general adnan he had with him and, and so on um Inconveniently, somewhat, for Vince McMahon and the WWF. Um, they must have been incredibly frustrated. The bloody war finished before WrestleMania came around, didn't it? That was inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> God damn I, I, George Bush Sr. Yeah, you know, that that didn't go according to their plans. But at the end of the day, Hulk Hogan still came out and did his business. Big boot, leg, leg dropper, Doom, and picked up the title at WrestleMania 7, so... Again, WrestleMania Sevens and it's another perfect snippet of this time. It's worth going back and watching, even if some of the action isn't isn't that great. Um, shall we get on to then the match that we skipped over earlier, and the reason why we skipped over it? So, well, shall we get on to not necessarily the match, but shall we get on to the debut of one of the biggest names in the history of wrestling ever, one of the strongest characters of all time, um, one of the one of those really really special moments in wrestling.
1: Oh absolutely. You know it's
2: time for the bell to toll I think. <laughs> I, was, I was referring to the gobbledygooker.
3: <laughs> oh my god go- are, are
2: you are you thinking of somebody else? Sorry, I didn't realize <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, when you texted me yesterday, and you said you felt bad for. uh <laughs> Oh
0: man! Now I under- he said this. He said that while we were watching for, for
1: mean gene. Yeah. yeah. I was like okay, well, I mean I don't. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs>
0: that hurt me. Like I've never. I don't do awkward and embarrassing. It. I don't. It upsets. It like my insides cringe and like you can hear like I'm trying to explain it and I can't. But it it. I walked away from, like, the 40-year-old Virgin movie, and I haven't been that uncomfortable until t- today when I watched
2: that. <laughs> and then
0: I was like, I've got to leave the room. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I feel so for bad it. for this guy.
1: <laughs> like, Mean Gene tried. He tried hard, but that crowd was silent. Like, nobody cared.
0: He kept, Ben said the announcers were working harder to put the crowd over than anybody had <laughs> in, in, like, WWE history. <laughs> like,
2: there was I guess less the summer was always- and- sorry just to summarize for anyone who's not seen it and if you haven't seen it please go and have a look it's Um, the WWF for quite a duration of time were pushing this big egg Uh, and it sounds ridiculous and uh, please please bear with me everything I'm telling you now is the truth there's a a big egg and it's popping up at at live because events the, and, the and egg they're egg saying
0: like, wait though the late egg did like really fast like it looked like a prop from the tv show dinosaurs right yes. like a jim henson egg. That, yes. okay now yeah. go, no please give all of that back information but like i wanted them to understand what that egg looked like too because no, no, that's, right. that's a really good one.
2: description as well that's a really, I, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought to make that link, but that's a really, really good description there. If you've ever seen that TV program being referenced, absolutely spot on. That's what it looks like. This massive bloody egg. Um, and they're pushing it, and it, apparently it, it, something's going to come out of this egg and so on. And you had, believe it or not, back at the back at the time in 1990, you had people thinking, is this Ric Flair debuting <laughs> in the WWF? You had people going oh my goodness, is this going to be some big surprise? Is it going to be, I don't know, I'm just going to name names now, but people were throwing out names in the dirt sheets and and so on and saying, was this going to be Wyndham? Was this going to be Lugal? Who's coming in? Who is this? (laughs) No! And then it gets to Survivor Series, and poor mean Gene Oakland, God bless him, he does the best he can to try and sell this to people. But (laughs) this egg starts to crack open, and it's this... It's it's effectively a sports mascot outfit. He's dressed as a bloody some sort of turkey chicken hybrid. I don't really know what it is. <laughs>
0: it was like blue and green too. It was really yep. oddly coloured, like a peacock mixed in yeah, there too. Be,
2: yeah, and like he a peacock, comes
0: like turkey chicken.
2: Comes out of this egg and he's talking to Mean Gene, and he gives the name that he's the Gobbledygooker. <laughs> um and then he has a little bit of a dance and he takes and gene up to the ring and he has a little bit more of a dance and i'm thinking okay that's that's gotta be it now this is this is dying a death you can you, as roddy piper on commentary is yelling oh look at the kids they love him you're, yeah. looking, you're, you're looking in the audience they're sat there just staring not knowing what to do and the grown-ups <laughs> are actively booing and roddy piper's <laughs> like this is great stuff you know um, it was so bad. <laughs> oh, it was dreadful. And and then uh, I'm thinking, okay, that's got to be it now. They're going to cut away somewhere else, and or or they got an interview somewhere. But no, it carries on. And <laughs> the guy with the, of the starts doing a few forward flips, and he starts doing a few rolls in the ring, and he jumps over the top rope, and he's trying to get Gene to copy him. And mean Gene's dancing away, and oh, uh, you just wanted yeah, it was just terrible.
0: Was like that side shuffle thing where he would just like had his finger, he was like finger pointing and hip thrusting. And, you know, and that's what he's doing while the chicken is flipping around yep. and jumping around everywhere. And then meanwhile, the commentary is still happening. Like, we love this. Like, everybody's losing their mind. It made
1: me want to drink whiskey. <laughs> I, like, at 10 in the morning. <laughs> like,
0: we were just sitting there like, I don't, I feel assaulted.
2: <laughs> I just, uh, can you imagine if you were one of these people that for some reason, for some unknown reason, for? Oh, this could be Ric Flair. I mean, you 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 deserve to, <laughs> you deserve to be you know uh, feeling let down because if you thought that anyway, you were you were daft. But if you I, built yourself a- up to thinking I'm gonna see Ric Flair here, and then that pops out. <laughs> that would.
0: Oh, but you're, but that like, would. I understand why everybody thought it would be a Ric Flair because Charlotte Flair dresses like him now with those big feather gowns. And so like, I kept I was, I, you it keep saying like, Ric Flair. And I was like, Rick had feathers, all of those like eggs feathers, feathers could, could come understand. out of that shell. That would make, you had even tried to guess somebody when you saw the egg earlier. Who who,
1: I, it wasn't Ric Flair. No, but like, <laughs> no, it wasn't you know,
0: we didn't know who it was going to be either, but I was like, "Something, something's up with this no, egg. And then you. he said, is so-and-so going to come out of that
1: egg? I said I said gobbledygook.
0: Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. Well, I thought gobbledygook was like an actual wrestler. <laughs> like, I thought that was like a, you know, you got Jake the Snake and Tugboat. Yeah, I thought cool. gobbledygook was just another, like, character that was going to come out. And then I saw this, like, chicken thing and was like, wait, was this, like, is this guy a re- I don't, I'm, now I'm legitimately asking the two of you, is gobbledygook a wrestler? Or was this just for like
2: okay, do Thanksgiving? You, <laughs> do you know who was in? Did we review you know who was in the costume then? Have you had have I, you had I a look up? No, I, I didn't
3: look it up. Okay.
2: No. Um in that costume was Hector Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero's brother. Holy oh. sh... watch him out. He, <laughs> he apparently was after a job. Um, a very talented worker himself, a very, very accomplished wrestler himself, had wrestled all around Mexico and Japan and, and the States and so on. He was a very accomplished wrestler. You could see it in in the when he was rolling around the ring, even sure. in that ridiculous costume, the guy could move. Um, He's
0: ethnic, yeah. Those shoes yeah, would exactly. not have been easy to bounce around in.
2: Exactly, exactly. The the idea being, apparently, that Vince McMahon, Bruce Pritchard, Pat Patts, and all those guys had um, behind the scenes. Um, from what I've heard read and so on was that the Gooker was supposed to be a mascot for live events oh. so it was going to be a case of Hector Guerrero would wrestle early in the card um, whether it be a dark match um, or the opener or something like this um, and then he'd go backstage he dress himself up as this crazy chicken turkey hybrid um come back out during the intermission and get all the crowd to sing and clap and dance and try and sell some merch and so on and it actually went out on tour around house shows for a few weeks after the Survivor series but when it was just booed out the building in every arena it bloody well went to Vince McMahon eventually just sort of said yeah you know what maybe this isn't the best idea in the world it
0: it took him more than once. Right, is that's, what I that's what's my wrong. takeaway is like it took him more than once to figure out they needed to hang that costume up.
2: Right. <laughs> exactly. Yep. But did anyway, he come out
0: with the egg every time or was that special? I don't special?
2: think so. I think that was just the, I think that was just specially reserved for us. Okay. So. Yes. <laughs> okay. Fair. okay, I mean all that all that nonsense aside, get into the real reason we're here. Um so survivor series 1990, december uh, sorry november twenty second uh, thirty years to the date of this episode coming out, the debut of the undertaker. Um, what a moment in hindsight, um, seeing this this magical, mystical individual come out for the first time. um how did you how did you view this first moment, seeing him? How did you enjoy the match itself, and ultimately, what what going forward were your memories of the Undertaker and and so on in life as wrestling fans? I mean, thirty years is an incredible amount of time.
1: Oh, absolutely! Uh, the first thing when he came out, I thought it was awesome. I've I've seen his entrance before. I never watched the full match start to finish, but I've seen the entrance just you know via YouTube and past whatever. In my, I loved
0: his costume. My, I love that giant tie.
1: And yeah, my love of wrestling, I've seen it. Uh, But I thought it was really cool. I never realized it doesn't mean anything, but I never realized that his first match in ring, the first person he went one-on-one within the ring was Bret Hart, which I thought was really interesting. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. That's who they they started the match together was Bret Hart and Taker. So to see Taker's first punch in a WWF ring was to Bret Hart. That was really, really cool. Uh, yeah, and it was really cool to see this taker. Just, just see how big he was, see how intense he was.
0: He was very intense. Man. I love that because they showed him like he locked eyes with somebody in the crowd and like just
1: and he stared. S- still does that
0: and like, <laughs> like scared <laughs> the crap out of that kid. Like you could see the fear on that. They showed the kid's face. Oh yeah, and he was like, oh god. <laughs> like you could see, and that was like, I, he didn't break character. He doesn't come out smile. Like so, we watched that documentary that where he talks about. He's, like, interviewed, what is it, Dark Side of the Ring? And you get to see him talking. I don't
1: think he was in Dark Side of the Ring. We've seen, I mean, I've watched his documentary on the last ride, probably. That's what it was.
0: And he's so nice and open and friendly. And so that's the Undertaker that I knew was, like, this nice, friendly guy. And to see him come out intense like that and huge like that. They kept talking about how tall he was. Like, he was big. And I thought that was... Even, like, for me, I'm not as involved in wrestling as you guys are, like, following it or anything. But, like, I to me, like, you could tell that that was kind of a big deal, even though I don't know anything about WWE like you guys do.
1: Sure. You know. It um,
0: wasn't a lost moment.
1: You know, and talking about Taker's career, he's been around for 30 years now. Um, still to this day, the things that stick out to me the most, I have a couple. One, his first blood match with Stone Cold Steve Austin. I thought the build okay, to that match okay. was phenomenal. So if you guys remember, I I, I really like the Attitude Era stuff and I like the the hard hitting stuff. And I remember watching the pay-per-view, I forget what the show it was, but I thought it was really neat how one, him and Austin beat the hell out of each other. They they were hard hitting to one another for you know they're both cool guys. Um and in that match before the match of that show, they both attacked each other separately and cut the other open. So they both went into that match with open wounds already. So it made the match even more interesting and made it more like, oh, who's going to win? You know, so I think Taker is one of those guys who can have a feud with anybody and it's going to be a good feud. That's um, just something to remember that also his American Badass gimmick, his uh, his latter match with Jeff Hardy uh, will always stand out to me. One it happened. On oh. the Rock, and two, just yeah, to see him yeah. kind of pass the torch to Jeff Hardy was really, really cool. Yeah, the definitely. Thing thing one
2: see... Oh, go ahead. No, no, please carry on.
0: No, oh, the only other one that I saw was um his when he got retired by Reigns, and I remember. Oh, he didn't re-
1: get retired. He hinted that he was retiring at WrestleMania 2017.
0: Yeah, when he like yep. disrobed and like left his hat and everything in the ring, yep. like that. Broke my heart when I watched it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it would have been really cool if he actually did retire. But I know, <laughs> I know. And
0: then he came back, and I was like, okay, everything's and fine. But he came back but and like, fought
1: Goldberg in a horrendous match. So it's just you yeah.
0: Know. But when they do a really good job, I think as far as Taker goes, he's one of maybe a handful of wrestlers that every time he's been on screen, it they whatever they do like cinematically for him, it goes over really well, and it's always like memorable. His intro and then that, that like that thing oh, at yeah. WWE or that what, what was it the WrestleMania? Yeah, WrestleMania. Like all of that stuff was, it's this this is stuff that as a casual viewer I'm gonna remember. Sure. So I think that's really cool.
1: And one thing I thought was really interesting too regarding his first entrance at uh, Survivor Series 1990 was how quick his entrance was compared to to now the yeah. ev- the evolution of his entrance.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a 15 minute walk. Because it now. draws out now. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, a couple of things that you mentioned there that I, I want to touch upon. Um, you say about The Undertaker's entrance, though. He, he, he comes out with um, brother love, Bruce Pritchard, as his manager. That, that lasted a few weeks um, yeah, before cool. Paul Bearer actually came in and, and took over that role. Um, he was originally announced. You can find it, I believe, on YouTube somewhere, but it's been edited on the WWE Network. The Undertaker originally was announced as Kane, The Undertaker.
1: Yeah, Kane, The Undertaker, yes, sir.
2: That's right, that was just going to be his name. It was dropped after a little while. I mean, it was, it was to do with Cain um, uh, being the person who committed the first ever murder in the Bible when he killed his brother Abel. Right. That was the basis for the name. Um, it was eventually just dropped to The Undertaker, and obviously we know what Cain was used for at a later date. Uh, interestingly as well, Bruce Pritchard himself, the guy who was Vincent Marne's right-hand man for, for so long there, his brother loved, um as The Undertaker's manager as well, um he he named his son kane just a little funny little no oh, that is of funny bit in there you know, so,
0: <laughs> so just um. a little like fun fact too um i just now realized when you explained this that kane and the undertaker
1: are the same person <laughs> no kane they're
0: not i like that they were the same no, person storyline
1: wise Cain is the undertaker's brother he did yeah. you did 1997 yeah. and to attack the undertaker okay. and then they had a whole like background where kane was caught on fire by the Undertaker and oh, blah that's blah blah. That's cool. why he wore the mask, right?
3: Oh, okay. Um, but
1: yeah, this basically did this. They decided to use Kane later on. You know, I'm sure it was a, a background shot to to Kane the Undertaker and
2: and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. So
0: it's like but, a tribute, right, to Undertaker? Yeah, and that's
1: it's,
3: it's, 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 it's legitimate. like okay.
2: long term storytelling as well. I mean, that Kane and Undertaker storyline that went on. That's one of my main memories with Undertaker. Discussing about his career and memories that we have. It, they started off hating each other. There was the big feud there. Absolutely. Then eventually they were they joined forces. Then they parted ways again. Then you had the American badass turn up. Uh, he was the biker gimmick. Then his return as the dead man at WrestleMania 20 is one of the memories <laughs> that really stands out for me. When it, I, I'm, I'm sat uh, watching that live, and you are bear in mind, for, for us in the UK, that could be uh, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning that's happening. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> so you, Kane's in the ring looking around saying he's not here he's not here but no 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 and then you just hear Paul Bearer's voice as a complete surprise come over the tannoy come over the sound system and the Undertaker walks out as the dead man for the first time in however many years that was a real that, that moment stands out to me so strongly um, absolutely. absolutely fantastic stuff and again back and forth with Kane um, I've, I've a few people on Twitter as well have messaged into the show. We'll have a little look at those. Um, you mentioned, uh, Ben, about the Jeff Hardy ladder match on Raw. Absolutely brilliant moment there for the, I believe it was the WWE title they were, they were battling for at that time. Yep,
3: yes, um,
2: sir. Mags, he, he's been on the show a few times. He mentions that same Jeff Hardy ladder match. He also remembers destroying Maven at the War Rumble. <laughs> That's
1: for Fumble, yeah. yeah. Um, As well.
2: <laughs> the debut being amazing, he says. Um, he loved his feud with Jake Roberts, uh, the stuff with Mankind and so on. Um, so many people mention the matches with Mankind, especially the Hell in the Cell. The stunts off the top of the cell is a, is a big memory to some. Absolutely. Um, Radio Techers, a a great football podcast, um, worth listening to if you're into uh, uh, English football. Um, he he tweeted into the show and says about the Mania matches with Shawn Michaels have to be top of his list. Oh, um, you can't I, beat that. Oh, I, yeah. I I agree. Both of those matches were fantastic. The first one especially, but then the two with Triple H afterwards were were also very good and great part of the story as well. Um, uh, Raincounter at Raincounter uh, Paul, little shout out to Paul, great bloke he, he works with Mags on the Badlands podcast brilliant show um, he says that the match with Triple H in Hell in the Cell with uh, Shawn Michaels as the referee is actually his favourite taker match of all time um, I have to disagree with, with that one um, it was
1: a really, really good match, it was the end of an era match, I think they dubbed it, correct? that's right, Yep, yeah. end of an uh, era, that's exactly right, yeah it was really, really good, but at that point, I felt like it was too forced because of the the first two HBK matches and then the you know the match with Triple H prior. I don't know. I liked it a lot, but it was the last it was the last match of a four year thing basically. Yeah, and I just kind of burnt out of those guys together at that point. So I remember well, actually,
2: thinking, I, I enjoyed it. That's I enjoyed fair. It. it was
1: really hard hitting, and we but we mm. like, I don't know. I liked it a lot. Don't get me wrong. But I, I can't call it the best match of his career <laughs> because, you know, there's so much other things around it that it, it felt like it, we were kind of past that that part already, I guess, in his career. Like he... I don't know what I'm trying to say, I suppose. But I really did enjoy it as well, especially with HBK being involved. But he'd already retired
2: HBK, so yeah. why is he here? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, yeah. It's it's like so, yeah.
0: don't retire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: It's, to me, it was the drama and, and the storytelling. Uh, I mean, Sean... You had that throwback to the Taker retired, Sean, and he had the Undertaker's streak in his hands that he said in an interview just before the match. And I believe he super kicked Taker at one stage for a near fall. And that was, to me, that is fantastic storytelling because that's gone on for years, but it's only sort of popped up once a year, if that makes sense. I, I got a kick out of that. that was I enjoyed that. Um, another one, uh, at Benny Mack on Twitter, um, saying The Undertaker versus Mankind, Hell in the Cell. Um, hashtag Thank You Taker. He puts and and again those stunts were just insane. And the match itself was actually is remembered for those two moments. But the match itself was actually very very good contest.
1: Oh, absolutely! I um, watched that match a few times, and it's it's always phenomenal. Even if you know what's going to happen, they beat the hell out yeah. each. Yeah, and it's just fun to watch.
2: Oh, it's insane! And uh, they had a Boiler Room match as well at one stage, didn't they? That was really hard hitting with pipes and and so on. Um, and then finally, from, from Twitter, a uh, good friend of the show, someone who I really appreciate, a big supporter of mine when it comes to my writing and my, my podcast and so on, at t one tf He says, by the Undertaker had a great career. But again, the infamous cage match with Mick Foley, the head in the cell, is, is one of the best he's ever seen. He really enjoyed that. So it seems to be so many different memories from different eras, from different people. But what a career. 30 years absolutely fantastic i don't think we're going to see anyone like that again i, I can't see that can't see that happening
1: oh i absolutely and it's one of those things you can pass the torch we have some characters like taker right now we have the fiend who's kind of big we have Alistair black who's probably on his way out anyway there's a few guys who have that same kind of dark gimmick but with takers you know longevity you can't beat that 30 years in wwe that's unheard of Especially consistently. He never jumped ship and came back like a lot of other guys did. He's been there for 30 nonstop years. So that's incredible on its own rep. At the same time, multiple world titles. He's basically fought everybody in the business that matters. You and know? he kept his yeah. body in
0: his mind. And like he's that, still, you know, like he's still
1: he's a the, good dude. The drugs didn't get him. He can drink whiskey like no other, which I appreciate. Um, you know, he's just all around, you just can't you can't duplicate the Undertaker. I have one question for you, Cy. Is, yeah, sure. far ahead. Uh, they're they're dubbing this Survivor series as his farewell. Is it really his farewell? <laughs>
0: Will he retire now? Like, <laughs> I mean, that's an honest
1: um, question. Like, do we think he's because he's been teeter-tottering this for the last three to four years. So is he really going to be gone after this?
2: I I think there's two ways of this going. I think something is going to happen at WrestleMania. Same. I I just I now whether that is I mean, the fact that Survivor Series this year, when he's doing his final farewell, happens to be exactly 30 years since his debut, I think is a real wonderful little anomaly that doesn't come around very often. That's a wonderful thing to be able to do. Absolutely. Um, so being able to take advantage of that, as we have to do this little bonus show today, it, I think is a wonderful wonderful thing that you're not going to get very, very often that the universe kind of throws up. Um, it's possible that this is his farewell. He, you, you're hearing stories about people from the past being uh, booked to come down and uh, people at the show, whether they're going to be on screen or not, or coming to the show and so on. Um, it's very possible that that's that. He goes away. He's then announced as being inducted at the Hall of Fame in the coming year, and we get that moment with the Undertaker, one last WrestleMania entrance, maybe choke slams someone in the ring gets a big pop walks out and that's that or there's the other way of doing it whereas taker comes to the ring at survivor series says his goodbyes or is it has his little tribute or however they're going to do it i'm not 100 sure how it's going to work and then he's attacked by the fiend or he's attacked by or something happens.
1: The Fiend, man, that's my, what you just said is if I was booking it and he wants to do one last Mania match, I would have him do the farewell speech, have Fiend attack him. Because if you remember their first WrestleMania match at WrestleMania 31 during the daytime, which made no sense, Taker won during Bray Wyatt's mm-hmm, big mm-hmm. you know, run. So the whole match was, it could have been awesome, but it was terrible and you know, now they really want to get, to get The Fiend over and to pass that torch. If I was the booker here, I'd have Taker do the farewell, Fiend attack him, WrestleMania, pass the torch to The Fiend, and then officially
2: retire. Yeah, I um, think yeah, that I, I can like,
0: see um, that happening. What you want with Undertaker, because of how good everything he does looks on screen, his intro, his outro, all of that stuff is so good, you want it to be a visual... Sure affair like you need it to be a big deal visually Absolutely. especially now when there's no crowd so the fiend is the way to get that now
2: sure i agree with that yeah yeah i can see that i can see that i mean i, I think you can go one of either way I, I like the idea but it's more of a personal thing than a business thing really i like the idea of 30 years to the day that just fits so. nice with me you know oh, sure. um and then he can still come out at Mania, still have the big entrance, still choke slam someone in the ring. Almost like how when Hogan was inducted into the Hall of Fame um, and he came out with Real American playing, the red and yellow and everything to rescue Eugene. And he got to beat up Mohammed Hassan for a couple of minutes and pose for the crowd and so on. Similar sort of thing, I'm thinking, if you remember that Hogan moment the night after his Hall of Fame induction. Yep, I do. Um, I, I mean that to me is one of my favorite Hogan memories. You could do something very similar with the Undertaker. Um, you also got to remember, can the guy can he can he still go? Um can he, and this is this this is a horrible, heartbreaking thing for me to think of because I'm a huge taker fan. But you look at some of the matches in his recent years, when or even not so recent years, you look at the Goldberg issue. You look at the mess in Saudi Arabia with DX. Not his fault, necessarily. Triple H was injured during the match, but it wasn't great. You look at a few other moments where he's been in the ring in these recent years, and you think, can he still go? Has he got one more left in him? Is his body given up on him that much? Um, But I suppose you can get around that by being doing the whole cinematic side of it's, things, as they exactly. did with AJ Styles.
1: Yeah, now, with that, with that being said, though, I talked about this on RSH last week, actually, uh, with, with Josh. Taker, I mean, I, I don't know if you've watched The Last Writer or not, side, but he talks about yes. how, so, you know, how he says, oh, that match was terrible, I'll have to come back and rectify that. Oh, that match was great, I want to do it again. And so it's a cycle. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Taker's yeah. professional, it's his drive, it's what he wants. And I honestly don't believe that his brain would let him retire in a cinematic match like with aj he would have to have one last match inside the ring for to satisfy his his need or his drive yeah Mm -hmm. Um, and when it it comes to whether or not he can go honestly i don't know for sure but i believe he's good enough that if his opponent can carry most of the match he could probably do it um yeah if that makes sense Yes. Yeah, um, so, yeah. Definitely. So with somebody like Goldberg, it's going to be terrible because Goldberg can't go either. I think Goldberg's the same way. He needs somebody who can carry the most of the match at this yes. point in his career. Um, in most of Goldberg's career, to be honest with you. But, uh, <laughs> he just hated so much. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, but that's where Taker is right now. You can have one guy do most of the stuff and make Taker look good.
0: Yeah, like, and, right, and you need to do it with somebody you trust and, I think and the, that can do it.
3: The yeah. Fiend could probably
1: do that. I think he's good enough to yeah. do that. Um, and there's a few other guys I think could do that as well, whether it be Randy Orton, John Cena, or maybe not John Cena anymore. He's not really in the ring a whole Kevin lot. Owens. Kevin Owens, maybe. Uh, but, you, yes, know, it, shot, it yeah, you know, it just depends who the opponent it is. So I really think he probably has one more final match as long as it's short and he does
2: the least amount of work possible. No, yeah. uh, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'll throw one more scenario right there before we go, because I've already kept you far too long this evening. Um, <laughs> and this is me being completely selfish. This is ignoring... If people can go or not, this is ignoring the Taker, Undertaker wanting to retire. This, to me, is a completely selfish personal scenario. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if it did, i would probably have the biggest mark-out moment of my whole life. <laughs> we have, as we have explained, Taker comes to the ring at Survivor Series. In the full get-up, the coat, the hat, etc., but, you know, speaks, says thank you. They have a little visual package. Everything looks wonderful for him. Lights go out. Then rather than the Fiend standing there when they come back on, Finally, we get Sting and Undertaker in the same ring together. Yeah, oh, man. Ah. Hey, man. <laughs> just stood there staring at each other. Don't have to say anything. Don't have to gesture. Don't have. Don't have to touch. I wouldn't let them touch anything. No, just, don't move. Just stand, just stand there. there and stare. And then the lights go out. When they come back on, they've both gone.
3: That would and be
0: awesome
2: and that's your WrestleMania match right there. Now, that ain't going to happen. I don't think that will happen. Sting's in his mid-60s and carrying injuries. Taker's you know, in no position to maybe work with someone like Sting. Unless right. they go cinematic again, that's a big option with Sting. I don't think it's going to happen, but if that that to me, as it, if I was being selfish, that to me would be the ultimate scenario for me. But I suppose, I, come Survivor Series, we'll see what's going to happen.
0: I'm kind of mad at you now for, like, Planting that seed because now I'm gonna <laughs> oh,
2: walk and never
0: get to have that's it. a
2: huge dream match, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: that, and even if they didn't do a match, maybe they they popped on together and that's how both of their wrestling careers end just in the ring staring at each other. Like,
0: yeah, that, that would be yeah.
1: freaking, so. <laughs> yeah, no. Remember
0: those like those like wrestling dolls that talked when you pinned them and stuff? I, yeah. I had the sting doll of that. And we would I would hold him and we would watch well wrestling. Right, like man. that was so to see him back on screen again in yeah. the ring with Undertaker. Like I 30 at 32 years old, like, you know, ages seven through 12 year old me would be thrilled.
1: And it's funny because they're both on the same card at WrestleMania 31. Taker fought the Fiend or Bray Wyatt and Sting fought Triple H. They're yeah. both there.
2: They just didn't fight each uh, other. They I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I don't like Sting versus Triple H.
3: It's
1: it was a rough match. It,
2: it happened it was,
1: in the daytime. Like, what are we doing? But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. man, it
2: was bad. There we go. Okay, um, right. I will let, again say thank you very, very much to the pair of you for coming on this special bonus episode of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. Um, before I let you go, could you very quickly run through your social medias? um tell us all about your own podcasts where we can find you uh what times and releases and so on absolutely
1: well first of all thank you so much for having us both on i love being on your show It was awesome to be a part of it with with today so yeah huge, this was really
2: cool huge uh, thank you, to no, you. thank you very much i really appreciate that. It's very you're very kind thank you
1: and i can we say like we, we both we co-host the uh marital nonsense live every friday night at 7 p.m you can watch it on all and it's affiliated uh social media accounts facebook twitter whatever and then i also have a podcast called paranormal activities which is just my last name a-x-e activities and i just have guests on and i talk about personal paranormal experiences along with my guests experiences and try to break down what's going on in the paranormal side of things and then i also do a show called a regularly scheduled hostilities which you yourself has been on a few times it's a yeah. great another wrestling show that we just Talk about wrestling. And that one, we focus more on the day-to-day. We talk about more of like WWE Raw Smackdown of that week and that kind of stuff. Yep. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Lovin. You can follow my activities account at Activities. And, of course, you can follow me on Facebook at Chuck Winchester. <laughs> not <laughs> your
3: name. I hate that so
0: much. Like, we did... Uh, Marital Nonsense is the only podcast I'm a part of with you regularly. Right. I'm in and out He'd of the Activities. activities. Yep. But, like, we did one before and and it's audio only and it's called the moose point and um and and you changed your name to chuck and then
2: i stopped podcasting with you for like two years <laughs> <laughs>
0: this is not your name
2: <laughs> no <laughs> it is a little confusing for me i never quite know which what what's See, calling right. depending upon which show That's right. I keep you talking about them,
1: keeping you guessing, right? You're always in your brain, like, what's going on with this guy? There you go, (laughs) That's
2: it, keeping me on my toes. There we go. Okay, and for for those uh, listening, if you feel so inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you'd follow um, the SJP Wrestling Podcast. You can find us on Instagram now. And again, like I said in a previous episode, I'm very, very much dependent upon my daughter sorting that out for me, so thank you to her. But you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter um, at SJP Wrestling Pod. Um, thank you again very, very much for spending your time to watch 30-year-old wrestling and coming on and discuss, discussing it with me, the pair of you. I really appreciate that.
3: Always. Pleasure
2: anytime. is all ours.
1: Thank you.
3: A great day. Great
2: stuff. And very quickly before we go, just because it's sort of, you know, Wet my whistle a little bit now has made me think of it. Uh, Steve Borden, if you are listening, Sting, I know you're a big, big fan of the show, so I don't know why I'm asking. Of course, you're listening. Why wouldn't you be? why we're serious. I bloody love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> on, Thank you very much.
2: <laughs> I'll speak to you all soon. Thank you very much, Della. Thank, Thank you, you. sir.